are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to getlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to getlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Agilence was launched way back in the day, called 2006. Russ came in in 2008 and moved it from a hardware company servicing called the restaurant, retail, grocery industries, moved it into more of a SaaS play in 2013. And today is really vertically integrated into those three sectors, doing things like incident management, uh, human capital management. That's what they're looking to expand. And are they already do operational analytics, merchandising, et cetera. They're doing 35 million bucks in ARR today or right around there, up 17% year over year. Their first $10 million year was 2018, first million dollar year, 2014. He's doing this in a capital efficient way, powered by the war trust that is the private equity firm Codera Capital, as he looks to scale potentially inorganically with acquisitions moving forward. Hey, folks, my guest today is Russ Hawkins. He's building Agilence. That's agilenceinc.com, which helps reduce, shrink, and improve margins across retailers, restaurant operators, and grocers to increase their margin by producing preventable loss across the business. Russ, you ready to take us to the top? Sure am. Now, what are you, an ex-grocer? Did you own your own grocery chain before this or what? How'd you learn about no, this No, not at all. No, no. Actually, I'm kind of a serial uh, startup guy, uh, but not a founder. I've been, in most cases, a uh, uh, the first uh, outside manager to come in uh, working with the original founders. So this is my third company. Prior to that, I was 15 years with what came to be known as Lucent Technologies in the telecom business. Of course, of course. Now, this particular company, Agilence, give us the backstory. What year did it launch? <clears throat> so the company was founded way back in 2006 and originally had a completely different uh, approach and a completely different uh, technology that that we were using. I got recruited in around 2008 and um, basically changed the model of the company to be a recurring revenue model. And then uh, in 2013, made a major pivot to strictly a data uh, SaaS company, SaaS software company. Sorry, what was it between uh, between 2008 and 2013 if it wasn't SaaS already? So it, it, the company was originally in the loss prevention business, but it was uh, uh, about visually verifying uh, tr- suspect transactions. So uh, the way the product was deployed is uh, was in a, a, a server, and we were largely focused focused on grocers at the time. So basically, the the, the companies would use a, a printout or a, a file out of their POS system or their exception-based reporting system. And then they would turn to Agilence to visually verify. So a very video-centric company. Uh, the idea was to enable an analyst sitting in headquarters to be able to review transactions across a chain of grocery stores, essentially visually determining whether there was something amiss uh, in those transactions. But it was a hardware-oriented business. I tried to make it a recurring model by providing... Wait, Russell, hard- that's a big deal. It, it started off as hard... There was an upfront hardware installation required. Originally, yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay, got it. And and you came in and said... Now, did you come in because you know current investors weren't happy with the founders and they said, we got to bring in Russ? Or how'd that happen? Yeah. So my, uh, my prior company was a high-performance computing company. And my controller... 
uh, was married to uh, a venture capitalist in the Philadelphia area. So I had gotten to know him. And when I sold that company successfully, uh, he asked me if I would uh, consider running one of his portfolio companies. I actually looked at three of them. And uh, this was the one that I thought had the most interesting technology. And it, to me, it was a, a great technology with with poor go-to-market and poor marketing. And so that's what attracted me there. It also was, the value was in the software, but it was delivered in a in a, a piece of hardware. That we, we put servers out at each grocery store, essentially. Yep. Yeah. I want to flesh out all the years between 2008 and 2013 and 2013 to 2023. But before we go fill that backstory, you know, yep. tease us a little bit with where you're at today. Give us a story of how customers currently using you here in 2023. Yeah. So we, the, the major shift that we made in 2013 was to focus really more on data analytics and be less video centric. We thought we could do a better job than what was being done uh, in the marketplace at the time with a technology called exception based reporting which was being used uh, by many, many large retailers. Uh, and uh, right now we've proven that. We, we came out with a minimum viable product in 2013, and uh, uh, we've evolved uh, pretty significantly since then. Originally, the use cases were all around uh, loss prevention, but now uh, 80% of my customers use it for operational analytics, uh, merchandising, marketing, even the finance organizations use it for a variety of things. So today it's all about data management and making uh, the data exhaust that all the systems that are operating in these businesses, uh, we pull them all together and we we make create value or give the users the ability to uh, create value out of all of that data. Russ, with, with that idea, you know, the operational analytics, merchandising, organizing SKUs, yep. all the data exhaust managed under your platform today, what's the average grocer going to pay you per month or per year to use your technology? Well, it really depends on the the size of the grocer and the and and there's differences in in the grocers versus retailers versus uh, restaurants. So we we today we have a couple of hundred customers, more than more than a couple of hundred customers across those three uh, groups in in the U.S. On average, they pay us around one hundred twenty five thousand a year, but we have some that are close to a million and some that are smaller. Interesting. Ed, do you have anyone paying your biggest customer? Don't name them, obviously, but anyone paying more than a million per year all in? Uh, no, we have three right close to that, but not uh, nobody nobody yet. Big- well, although most likely through expansion sales, all three of them will be uh, over that threshold uh, within the next year. It's one of my favorite metrics when you read all the S1s from the SaaS companies going public is go down to the customer section, bury it on page 60 and see how many million dollar plus customers they have. That's always a nice metrics to see if you have healthy net dollar retention, et cetera. Yeah. Originally, we were focused more on the mid-market uh, and we were we we kind of worked our way up to supporting larger companies. And and along the way, we've learned a lot. Now we're, now we're, uh, we're really considered the leader in this space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you sorry, just to put it put a sort of a tighter range on this. When you say a couple hundred customers today, we're talking like four or five hundred, or closer to a thousand. No, we've got uh, closer to three hundred and uh, three hundred. Okay, they're uh, they're across all three markets, and but all in the U.S. Well, U.S. and Canada today. So we've we've avoided for now uh, bringing the the platform uh, outside the U.S. Mainly because I've done that before and. I know it, uh, it takes a lot of energy and uh, you really need to have patience to make that work. Uh, one of the things we're, we're considering now 
we, we sold the company to a private equity firm about 18 months ago. And one of the things that they've enabled is uh, potential acquisitions. And so I'm looking at a couple of acquisitions right now that would give us a, a structural platform to, to bring our, our uh, solution uh, to other geographies. I want, I want, it's great to have someone like that behind you, especially in a world where valuations are tighter. You can maybe get better deals than you did a year ago. So let's talk more about that here in a second. I do want to try and get a general sort of size in the company. How many folks are full-time today at the business? Uh, we're 70 people. 70. Okay. And how heavy on engineering? How many engineers? Uh, about 27, 28. Okay. 27, 28. And you must have a well uh trained sales team if you've got accounts that are paying up towards a million how many are like you know CSMs or AEs or BDRs etc uh so the the sales organization today is around 10 folks uh okay. and that's a combination of bag carrying salespeople, uh BDRs and uh uh we have technical leads people that uh, you know do solutions uh they, they basically do architecture and solution things. selling yeah. Interesting. Of the 10, how many are carrying the bag and using your words? How many are quota carrying? Five of them are bag carriers. Interesting. How do you split up the deal flow? Is it geo-based? Is it industry-based? How do you split that up? A uh, little bit of both. So we make a, a, a delineation between uh, retail and restaurants. The use cases are, are significantly different in restaurants and, and even the sub, sub-segments in there, right? In restaurants is quick service restaurants, but there's also table service restaurants. So the use cases can vary significantly on the retail side. Um, we have a, we have a segmentation around, uh, um, grocery specialty drug stores. Those are the three, three segments. And we're, we're starting to do more with convenience stores now as well. Uh, but basically we break it down. Uh, the, the salespeople are assigned, uh, there it's account assigned. So we, we spend our energy today with the largest accounts in terms of account executives. And yep. then outside of the sales organization, we have a you know marketing team that uh, looks to get people to self-identify in the mid in the mid range. And we do a little bit at the low end, but most of it is in mid range size companies. Russ, for, can I ask you for one of those five fully ramped AEs with the quota? What is that quota you want them to hit annually? Is it a million ARR? Right around a million ARR, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, very cool. All right. More on the backstory here because you you know, when you look at actually the the funding history of the business, you're you're actually fairly unique. And I say unique and it's a compliment. I it looks like you've been very capital efficient because you've smartly used debt. You joined in two thousand and eight. I think only maybe a million had come into the company at that point, maybe a little more. But how have you thought about building the capital structure over the past ten years, fifteen years? So we started with with venture capital. You know, I, I mentioned that we sold the company about eighteen months ago. I think of that as kind of a graduation. We graduated from the venture world to the private equity world. Uh, but prior to that, uh, we raised uh, several rounds of uh, of venture capital um, and and peppered in, you know, uh, put in debt also as we went along. When we can you afford- Russ, can you sum those just so people understand how you were thinking? What was the total equity in versus the total debt in the business? Uh, so the debt varied. Uh, you know, we we paid things off and paid things down out of cash flow over time. But you I know, see. probably at the at the height of it is probably only five million in in uh, in uh, debt and about okay. a little, just a little short of thirty million total equity raised. Okay, so you still. I mean, one thing I always ask, especially operators like you coming in, you're managing a cap table. Obviously, you're managing an ESOP pool for employees. I imagine, obviously, the founders on the majority before you came in in 2008. How did you just make sure to keep good control of your of your cap table so there was always room for you to go recruit a great new revenue leader like you just did? 
Well, you mentioned earlier about being capital efficient. So I'm a little bit different, I think, than than some uh, people running small uh, startup companies in that I've, I'm, I've always been very conservative. I don't like to get ahead of my skis in terms of hiring. Uh, even though I am chasing growth, uh, I try to keep a balance. And, you know, I never want to be in a desperate situation where I, where I have to raise money because I have to. So we've tried to take a very methodical approach over time, raising money really before we need it on an incremental basis. I, you know, I made mistakes. People do, but um, you know, we lately, so the last eighteen months, we we had more debt. We've we've leveraged up with debt because that's kind of uh, the part of the PE playbook. Uh, but uh, and so the equity to debt ratio right now is about sixty forty in the mm-hmm. in the plan in the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's helpful to understand. Um, the uh, I guess going back to the backstory here a little bit. So again, good, good, good use of debt, uh, good use of equity. Um, you then engage with Excel KKR, I believe, before uh, before the deal with the private equity firm. Is that accurate? It is. So I pitched uh, pitch AKKR at one point uh, out on out on did the, did the you know Silicon Valley Road yeah. there the uh, and. Uh, uh, they remembered me, and actually, uh, AKKR decided to uh, enter into the debt business. And I think I might have been the first deal that they did uh, in the debt business. So I worked with. Was that, that out of their publicly traded BDC, the FSKKR BDC? Uh, no, I don't believe so. It was okay. So it was a private. It was a private debt fund that they managed. It was. Yep. Interesting. Can you? Are you able to share? Like a lot of founders don't even know that debt is an option. So anytime I get someone like you that is experienced, that's done it, I try and get as much information as possible. How, how do these debt deals work? What can you share? Well, they changed over time. I mean, there's a there's a wide wide uh, kind of uh, census of of debt providers in there, and they're they're all over the place from you know from banks to private uh, debt providers. Uh, you know, early on, we were paying uh, fairly, fairly hefty rates. So they're getting good returns usually. What's hefty, Russ? You're talking like 17, low, 18, low 19? Low okay. teens. L- low teens and, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of equity in there as well. Uh, as like like two to three percent warrants? Yeah, smaller, actually, in most cases. Okay. One to two has been, the, been my experience. And, okay. Um, and uh, as we've, you know, as, as our revenues have gotten more predictable, uh, we're able to do better on the interest rates, and uh, uh, you know now we have uh, uh, basically a bank as the as the lead debt provider, and then they are subordinating it to some of the historical uh, uh, you know equi- debt financing companies. They're they're not really banks; they're they're just uh, more risky providers, I guess. They're- and who lined that facility up? Was it you or Quadrilla Capital? Quadria is Quadria, and yeah, they they did this one, and they're pretty good at that. These guys are, so, you know, ex Marlin guys for the most part. So, so just to be clear, it was not a Unitron deal. There was an A piece and a B piece, and the A piece was like the PNC Bank, and the B piece was Hercules on top of that, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, guys, this is a huge model. You know, no one talks about it, but it's a great way to preserve equity over time. So Russ is clearly doing that, which we love. Now, Russ, why was the right time to sell? last year to Quadrilla Capital? What made it the right time? Well, it wasn't or I guess right it's 2021. 2021 it, it wasn't the right time to sell. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we should have sold, to be honest with you. But uh, Why'd no. you do it then? Uh, because the investors and the owners of the business decided that they wanted to do it for their own reasons, which is, you know, which is a problem. It's, it's, yeah. it's a problem from my perspective with the, with, uh, you know, multiple venture investors that have, you know, conflicting objectives within their own funds, 
Um, I think we sold the company short, to be honest. And uh, can uh, I but ask, I still Russ? I mean, when you say short, can you quantify that? Like that you sold, for example, like a five to ten x multiple, and you thought it should have been fifteen x, something like that. That's right. It was more. Well, maybe not fifteen x, but yeah, we, we we sold sub five, and I think we should have gotten more like eight. Interesting. And the and the investors you had on the equity side just weren't being patient enough to to wait it out. Well, so you know, we they, they were they weren't all equal, right? The 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 initial money that I raised back in two thousand and eight, uh, that that particular investor was very supportive and very very interested in continuing to do what um, what needed to get done. And then in subsequent rounds, uh, we brought in additional voices and di- additional. We got to give them credit, by the way, Russ. Anytime you you say good things about VC, we got to give them credit. That was Granite and Next Stage back in two thousand eight, correct? So next stage was the the original investor in the business before me. The other guys had basically hired me, and I then see. I brought and then I brought next day. I brought uh, Granite in. I yeah. see, but they're the ones you're giving credit for being patient, good, long term, founder friendly, capital, and supportive, and and so yeah. forth. And then, um, you know the the later the, the later people. One was a kind of a family office, had a different different set of perspectives, and then. Uh, and then uh, the the last one to learn to to join was the uh, the one that uh, wanted to move more quickly in terms of an exit. Fair enough. We won't put them on the spot here, but it's good to understand the patterns. Now, yeah, uh, well, Russ, I'm going back to the with them anyway, so I'd rather yeah. not. Mention them. Okay. Well, I mean, was that Wellington? Are we talking about Wellington? Are we talking about are we talking about Wellington? No, no, no. Wellington was a debt provider. So we're talking were, about Arrowroot or Aster. Arrowroot. Arrowroot. Okay. Yeah. We, we, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with their capital structure and you're right. It's a family office. They have a short-term fund life typically. Why didn't you surface some of these risks with their capital structure ahead of time before taking their money? Uh, well, I, because I, uh, I guess I just blew it. I mean, I, I didn't do it. I, I, uh, I, I misinterpreted <laughs> what they were at the time and they told a good story about what they were and what their what their whole period was and what they wanted to do. And, you know, maybe they just grew tired of the business. I, I don't, I don't really know. All yeah, I know yeah. is that, uh, uh, they forced our hand and, uh, it was not, uh, not what we wanted to do. All right. Let's let end with the last two minutes here looking forward. So the company today, you told us about 300 customers. You mentioned earlier, average ACV, something like 125 K Russ, is it appropriate to multiply those together to back into sort of your revenue range or would that math not be accurate? That's reasonably close. Okay, so that would put you at about thirty-seven million bucks of ARR today. Is it accurate? A little, a little bit less than that today. Okay, and where were you one year ago? So we can calculate growth rate. Uh, we, we we the last year we grew in at seventeen point three percent. Okay, got it. So you're at like a, uh, something like a thirty-one million ARR one year ago. Something in that range, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this isn't, this is, I mean, look, this is good, uh, controlled growth. You mentioned inorganic growth of the private equity fund behind you today. What kind of acquisitions are you looking for? Well, we're looking for adjacent technologies. Uh, we're, 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 we're all about data analytics, as I mentioned in the primarily in the retail space. This is enterprise customers. You know, my average customer has 600 locations. So we're not talking about small businesses here. Uh, there's a, I have an interest in a couple of different areas. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very interested in incident management and task management. Uh, I'm interested in frontline human resource, human capital management uh, in, in retail environments. Uh, we've got, we do some uh, good things around e-com, but I'd like to get more real time. We're, we're, we're forensic in that, you know, we, we basically can tell you what happened up until yesterday. 
so I'm interested in going in that area. We've got uh, some interest and already some use cases in the supply chain management, the distribution management. So there's some things in, in there. Uh, what else? Uh, the re- on the restaurant side, uh, that's a smaller part of our business. I think there's uh, some interesting uh, add-ons we could do in the restaurant tech area. Uh, so I think, and oh, and then one other thing would be that just general geography, uh, picking up competitors that can give us uh, uh, a foothold in in additional geographies. Uh, I've tried to do it on a greenfield basis, and it's just expensive and takes a long time. So uh, yep. I'd like to like to look at some of those things. How do you manage concentration risk in terms of your concentration at Quadrilla? From what I can tell, they've only bought three companies. You're one of them, maybe one of the bigger ones, in addition to Chartbeat and Infodesk. Is there any risk for you being such a large position in their fund? Um, well, I think they're pretty well funded, first of all. And I think they've got... Is that uh, public? How much have they raised? That I don't know. Okay. Well, that I'm, I'm not, and I'm not, if I did know, I wouldn't be able to share it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there, but you know, we were there, we we're actually their first investment. Uh, they've been extremely supportive. I'm, I, I love these guys. They're, they're doing a, they're doing a great job with me because, you know, they're transparent. They tell me what they want and we talk about it and, and then I execute on it. And they're essentially investing in my vision of where I want to go here. So, which yep, is, and this be- is Jonah Sulak and Vikram Abraham, just to give them credit. That's correct. Yep. 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 Vic is the, the point on the deal, but Jonah, Jonah and Vic work very closely together. Marlin equity in their blood. That that is the tree they came from. So good good group of guys there. Now, what's yeah. the process, Russ? You find a great deal in the incident management space that you want to buy. Let's say it's doing five million in revenue. You have negotiated high level with the founder. You're going to pay a two X multiple for 10 million bucks, of which eight million is cash up front, two million earn out in stock. What do you need from that group you're going to buy to take to Quadrilla to get the deal approved and unlock the capital. You know, it's a little it. more. It's a little more interactive and collaborative in terms of what we do. I, I, I've produced, uh, uh, you know, kind of a roadmap of acquisitions of directions that I want to go, um, and you know, my initial list of names. There's been uh, there's been some of them that fall into the category that you described, where I've had uh, I've developed a relationship with these things, but with these companies, but. Uh, uh, there's a team of people. Uh, Quadria has a team of people that help me. They they do outreach. Oh, nice. They do outreach and they help me. And and uh, and then as far as the actual details of the acquisition, I'm using primarily using their money. So uh, the divisional labor is I come up with the strategic ideas and run the companies, and they work the the details on the financing. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, as we wrap up here, Russ, give us, we didn't get a lot of the backstory in terms of other revenue milestones. What year was your 10 million year? When did you pass 10 million? Uh, that was, uh, oh, I don't know, six years, six years ago, five years ago. something. Like that. Okay. So call it 2018. And what was your first million dollar year? If you remember? Oh boy. <laughs> um, well, in the new platform, it was, uh, uh, probably 2014. We, we, the, the older, we, we stopped selling the older platform as soon as I made the, 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 the pivot in 2013. Uh, but, uh, we had hit a million dollars with that product back in, uh, let's see, 2009, I guess. Yeah, 2009. All right. Very good. Let's wrap up with the famous five quick answers. Number one, favorite book. My favorite book. Yep. Uh, a Confederacy of Dunces by, uh, Tool. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, no. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Agilence? My favorite online tool for building Agilence? 
Yes. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I've got a lot of ones that I'm not happy with. Uh, let's see. Which, what, what are the ones <laughs> Maybe that's I'm a better question. I guess I'd have to point to Salesforce. I mean, I, I mean, it's our CRM and we get a lot of value out of it. I should start asking that question. What's the last software contract uh, you turned from? You terminated. <laughs> um, in terms of what, what, what is it you're looking for? I'm just joking. You're saying ones you're not happy with. I'm saying why oh, should start ones asking. I'm not happy with. Oh, yeah. I, uh, no, I'm not definitely not mentioning that. Yeah. Number four, Russ, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, about, uh, I get five in two, in two tranches, I guess. <laughs> All right. Fair <laughs> enough. There's and a what's trip your, to the bathroom in between. What's your situation? Married, single kids, married, four kids, just had my first grandchild. Oh, congratulations. That's so fun. Uh, how old are you, Russ? I'm uh, 64. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Oh, <laughs> uh, how important the decisions that you're making every day are. <laughs> Guys, there I have it. Agilence was launched way back in the day, called 2006. Russ came in in 2008 and moved it from a hardware company servicing called the restaurant, retail, grocery industries, moved it into more of a SaaS play in 2013. And today is really vertically integrated into those three sectors, doing things like incident management, uh, human capital management. That's what they're looking to expand. And are they already do operational analytics, merchandising, et cetera. They're doing 35 million bucks in ARR today or right around there, up 17% to year over year. The first $10 million year was 2018, first million dollar year, 2014. He's doing this in a capital efficient way, powered by the War Trust. That is the private equity firm, Cordera Capital, as he looks to scale potentially inorganically with acquisitions moving forward. Russ, thank you for taking us to the top. All right. Well, thank you, Nathan.